welcome to yet another episode of the Swiss Ballers Pod. I'm Fabo, and I'm joined by an absolute baller, my good friend Arman, back home in Zurich. Long time no chat, my friend. Mixed emotions, plenty of draws, bad weekend league, but the international break is over. How are you, my friend? I'm good, thanks, yeah. It's been a up and down weekend, but... I think uh, the positives are that we didn't, I mean, my teams didn't lose at the end of the day. So we move on. We move. And uh, yeah, actually, both your teams drew um, Zurich famously away to, to young boys. You are facing Man City this week. <laughs> famously. And, <laughs> and uh, Arsenal to, to Chelsea, which we'll get into, of course. Uh, we'll start off the usual way. I've got an interesting trivia one for you today. Mikel Arteta named his first Arsenal starting eleven on uh, in December 2019. 1-1 away draw against Bournemouth. I want to know the 11 starting players on that day. I, I, I watched that game. So it was... Uh, I think... Okay, let's start at the goalkeeper. It was yeah. Leno. Yeah. Then we have probably David Lewis and Socrates. Yeah. Then probably... Did Bellerin play or Chambers? I wonder. Let's say Bellerin. Nope. No. Oh, he was probably still injured. Then I would say Chambers. Nope. It was Maitland Niles at right back. Oh, on right back. Yeah, yeah. But he played the next game against Chelsea as well. Then on left back, Tierney was injured a lot. Kolasinac? Nope. Uh, Saka? Yes. Yes, it was his left back spell. Indeed. Then we had Chaka. Yep. That was his game back, I think. Um Torreira or Guendouzi is the question now. Or Ceballos even. Mm, I know Guendouzi? It was actually Torreira. You you were right the first guess. Ah, Torreira. Okay, then we have Pepe came off the bench in that game. I remember that. Then it was Reese Nelson probably. Yep, Reese Nelson at right back. Uh, right mid, sorry. Right, right, right mid. mid. Then on the left, Oba. Yeah. Then up top, oh, he loved Eddie, but it was his first game, so probably didn't know Eddie that well. Like I said. Yep. And then at the 10, either Willock or Ceballos, probably. Or was someone else? Is it Willock? It's Mesut Ozil. Ah, yeah. I'm very, very impressed here, actually. You got, you got <laughs> like, you got Leno, Socrates, Luis, Saka, I'll give you Chaka, Nelson, Oba. And uh, Lacazette, so that's a that's a solid seven. That's very impressive. Yeah. If you did ask me, Saka at left back, I'm the most proud of actually. Yeah, that's very impressive. I don't think many listeners would have would have gotten that anyway. That's a very impressive work. So well done, well done to you thanks, on that thanks. front. Um, instead of the ninety second update, I'm just going to reel off some of the results. Uh, we just watched Spurs beat Fulham two nil. Yesterday, Aston Villa beat West Ham four one. Then on Saturday, eight games were played. Uh, Sheffield United lost to Man United, one goal to two. Chelsea Arsenal, 2-2 draw. Same result for Nottingham Forest v Luton. 
Man City beat Brighton, two goals to one. Brentford beat Burnley 3-0. Newcastle scored one more to beat Crystal Palace at home. Bournemouth lost the home game to Wolves uh, by one goal to two. And Liverpool won the Merseyside Derby, two goals to nil. That's the roundup for this weekend. That's the situation in the Premier League. We have a lot of things to talk about. Um, the, obviously, the international break is always a thorn in our in our in our eye, as we say in German. It's it's never something we like seeing. I myself go into like a sort of hibernation mode where I get really depressed and sad, and my life is so empty without football. And I'm reduced to watching Switzerland failing to beat Belarus, and it's just it's just the saddest time of the year. I do want to ask you though, Armand, and and. This is something that's been coming up for a long time. I mean, we've we've had managers complain about too many fixtures. The other thing, though, it's it's so disruptive to the season. We've seen teams get into a flow, into a rhythm, and then every three weeks you're off again, and every three weeks you're just spending two weeks apart essentially. And in this period, especially between like late August, sort of, and and mid. November when there's like almost as much international football as as club football is that a big inconvenience for a lot of teams for the top sides as well who lose all their players is that does that hurt the quality of club football it's a good question I don't really know you have to ask them but from outside standing in because Difficult to say because you you cannot reduce the fixtures. The fixtures are there and we have to play them. Now the question is how do we play them? How do we arrange the schedule? And I think even the national the coaches of the national teams I think would prefer a longer period with their team. Now let's say of two weeks, some of them get get in by Monday. Maybe one of them has a Monday game. They get in by Tuesday or whatever, and then you have roughly eight days and then they go back. Surely that's not productive i mean sure you need more time to like okay now we created uh, this session and um i don't know we created this pattern of play and at the next break they have to remember it again or i don't know i mean i don't know from outside but maybe it would make more sense i mean until christmas we have three international breaks why not have two with a with a three week span you yeah, know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I just, I'm asking you this because I just felt like a bunch of teams, including Arsenal, actually played very leggy. Yeah. They just looked leggy, you know. Now that's not everyone, yeah. but but a lot of away teams in particular, they just looked a bit. I mean, Bright, Brighton in that first half against Man City were virtually non-existent compared to what Brighton are usually like. And Everton against Liverpool. I know people have been applauding their defensive work rate and everything, but I was so disappointed in them. And yeah, again, you know, like even, I mean, United, that's, I'm not going to go there because they always look leggy, but, but West mm-hmm. Ham as well, they have so yeah. many international players now and you have, you know, the Germans who, who go to the U S and the likes of human song who travels to, to Eastern Asia to play and, and all the South Americans who, who go down yeah. there. Like it's, I don't know. I just felt like it was a bit of a, in terms of the games, and this doesn't go for everyone. I know Newcastle was electric. Brentford did well to win, and Aston Villa as well, but they had an extra day as well. I just felt like a lot of the teams just looked off color, and I don't know how much it's got to do with the international break. Mm. 
The other side of that is also that, and I know my friend Yuli has been complaining about me calling everyone an ACL buddy, but Neymar is a big enough name to actually go under that um, description because he literally had the same exact diagnosis, did his ACL, did his meniscus, left knee. He's going to be out for nine months. Robertson didn't return to Liverpool either, picked up an injury in international break. That's another layer that manager, club team managers won't like that, you know, of course, injuries are part of the game, but can just add and and Hu Min Song again played against Vietnam when he was really injured. He shouldn't have played in in the game like that. So I don't know. I just I it it feels like it needs a solution. And I know you were for trying with the Nations League and stuff, but it's so boring. I think I the don't... Nations League is actually it's not really uh, doing anything to be honest. Not right now, no. But I'm I'm saying with the Nations League, they're trying to like upgrade the international breaks and make they them more tr- interesting. But it it adds more fixtures as well. And exactly, a lot of players are complaining about it. And I think the less games, the better the quality. Yeah. So just, I mean, when watching... players have to play sixty games a season. I mean, that's just that's freak and. It, that's play. I mean, at some point, player welfare needs to come come into it. I mean, yeah, one hundred percent agree with you. Okay, let's talk about some positives though, and and I want to ask you what were the standout performances were for for you on on this past weekend. Individual performances or like team teams. performances, individual. Who who impressed you? Um, in England, all over the place. This general chit chat. Uh, <laughs> oof. Yeah, actually, now you mentioned it, it was some teams didn't play that well. I thought I thought um, Newcastle. You said Newcastle looked pretty good. Um, you know, one player we need to talk about when you mention Newcastle. Oh, I, I have one individual performance. Yeah, my guy, Brian and Burmo. <laughs> he had one week left in my team, and I thought, <laughs> and I said, should I transfer him out? No, I give. Because I give him one more go, he's my guy, and then he creates fourteen pointer for me. Brian and Bumo will always be my Saves heart. Your weekend. Yeah, he scored a great goal. Um, but yeah, I, I just want to take it back to to Newcastle there, and I sent you today a clip of of Fabi Cher and his long ball and his distribution out the back. I mean, he set up uh, Newcastle's first goal with that brilliant ping into into Trippier and down that right hand side. The quality that lad has joined in 2018 from Deportivo La Coruña for like three and a half million. We obviously saw him in the Swiss League way back when uh, for FC Basel. And, and I remember then being like, this guy, he's not the best defender, but he can play football like a god. And it's really showing now in a team that, you know, they like to be on the ball. They like to dominate possession. Just how good is Fabi Scher? Yeah, you may, I mean, I don't need to add anything. I think you mentioned it all. He's very good on the ball, spraying passes around, good in the box as well. Has his, has he scores a lot of goals for defenders as well, and he has a brilliant shot on him, yeah. like a really really good shot. I mean, Seth will probably know as well. I mean, he scored some bangers for Newcastle, and yeah, just um, just an Olga good defender and. Maybe likes a bit of pace in transition sometimes, but um, it's interesting yeah, to me because again connecting this to the, to the international break that Switzerland drew three three to Belarus, a team 
I don't know, like hundred odd places below them in the in the the FIFA. Yeah, world but rankings. these games happen. I mean, I don't. No, no, don't no. Think yeah, of course, of course, they do, they do happen, and, and there's a whole there's a whole issue with the Swiss national team. But I want to talk about is is Fabi Scher and Akanji. You know that we've got two of. I'm gonna go there. Yeah, two of the best centre backs in the Prem at the moment. If you list the top ten, they both have their merit in being in there. They play for two top four teams. Both are com- absolute starters. Akanji has pretty much started every game for Man City, bar I think one. Shared is in every lineup for for Newcastle. Brilliant. I don't think any other nation worldwide has two top four starter in a European league right now. Um, maybe like France or Italy or England, but those are like the big, big guns, you know, or maybe Brazil as well, but the, I'm talking like elite level. Uh, and if you compare it to Switzerland, that's very impressive. And both Cher and Akanji looked awful for Switzerland and they have done for a while now when they play together. And it's fascinating to me to see how when they play together, they don't look so good, but then they go into the club where the pressure is much higher, you'd, you'd think. And they both perform week in, week out. And it's just, it, it just reminded me of how important that, I don't know, psychological part is in, in football and to, to have a team and a manager who backs you and who you feel comfortable, co- confident playing with. And where we have a clear, clear identity and system in place, especially like Newcastle and City have. Exactly. Eddie, that. Eddie Howe and Pep Guardiola, you know, there's going to be a clear way how we're going to play no matter the opponent we're going to do our game you know yeah and then you can and that's a tricky bit in for a country like switzerland Switzerland, yeah yeah that's a tricky thing for a country like switzerland because our manager is probably the inferior footballer to akanji and shad i mean they've already eclipsed what he's ever achieved in his career you know and then it becomes more difficult for what's he going to teach them how is he going to tell them how to improve or how to play you know they probably are the better players fascinating stuff but that's uh, a bit too niche into into swiss swiss drama um yeah. let's let's chat the premier league fixtures this weekend it started off with the merseyside derby and i mentioned it already liverpool won two nil mo salah getting both goals won a penalty and 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 won after having been set up by nunez i think it was um what struck me from the, I mean, obviously the big controversy with the VAR, Liverpool are getting a bit of compensation for that horrendous VAR decision at Spurs the other week. I think it's fair to say they should have had Kanate sent off. The ref turned a blind eye on it. There's two aspects I want to talk about. Number one, Salah. The guy is amazing. He's didn't really do much in the game. Didn't really get his touch right. Didn't really get any real chances or or, or create anything. And at the end of the day, he scores two goals and he's the match winner. The consistency this man is bringing, not just to FPL <laughs> managers, but also just to Liverpool over the years is, I mean, what a player. Yeah. Yeah, he is one of the Premier League greats already. I mean, the stats are just, <laughs> they're just ridiculous. They're absolutely ridiculous. And it's like, we almost take it a bit for granted now how yep. good he is I agree. and when and you own you only recognize it again when you watch them live i think not only how he scores like the way he like i think his passing improved so much it's insane i mean his passing is for sure top 10 top 5 in the league 
Yeah. Gets everything, the pace, the finish, the dribblings, the close dribblings, like how how we can how we can go through three defenders in tight spaces. It's it's incredible. And he has the, the upper body strength to hold people off. I, I remember like Dan James chasing him down. Sorry, I know it's gonna hurt, but Dan James like chasing him down like crazy. I was supposed to think three years ago and Salah scored the second goal. You remember that game? Uh, no, I usually when don't Alison remember Be- United against Liverpool Alison- games at the moment. Alison Becker like, like kicked it, and it was one we won against. Yeah, yeah I know James, and it just about. and it just held him off like that. Yeah. He has so much. I think he has so much strength as well. No, he is. Yeah, since since 2017, he's reached 30 GNAs in every single season except it's... 2021, the year after yeah, the... they won the title, and he reached oh, yeah, 27 was, GNAs. Was year, yeah. yeah, it was only 27 GNAs in that season. Yeah, yeah, it's, like it's... imagine, <laughs> you know, I mean that is that is crazy. Those are crazy stats. And he's and, always uh, fit. He's always, he's always fit. available. He's I mean, always fit. Something they say for the NFL that the the greatest ability is availability. And he's just, it's true. Look at Messi, look at Ronaldo. The greats are always there. The greats are always, always available. Fit. They're never injured. That's why I'm not a great. Um, but no, in, in all honesty, Salah, I mean, brilliant, brilliant player. And as you said, we kind of take it for granted, which we really shouldn't because he is he's just outstanding. He's brilliant. And he's been yeah. brilliant for Liverpool. And I said at the beginning of the season, this could be the sort of the, the start of the decline. He's 31 years old now. None of it. He is so influential still to what Liverpool do. And he is a player that, and that's why I think Liverpool are going to probably going to finish above us this year. He's a player that we just don't have. Do you know what it is though, Armand? Do you know what it is with him? And Van Dijk is a player we don't have. And Alisson is a player we don't have. Yes, all those things are true. And I think the biggest difference between all of those, because you could merit that Van Dijk you might not your number two is better than Liverpool's number two you have two very good goalkeepers so that's compensated but the thing what Salah is what I don't think Arsenal have right now is a goal scorer the boy scores goals and Arsenal don't have that almost a little bit selfish guy who will just gobble up chances I don't see that I don't see Jesus hitting 30 GNAs every season I don't see it from Saka yet and that's a huge huge difference making um, factor in the equation for me he just mm. scores so many goals okay that's that on Mohamed Salah on the other side an Everton team that I thought was so disappointing I mean I've always quite liked Sean Dyke as a person I like how he comes across in interviews but I was watching them and there was I remember Merseyside derbies that were very evenly balanced that were nervy that could have gone either way and this was just Everson turned up and played for the nil-nil from Minico. And people have been applauding them, which I don't really get. Everyone's been like, yeah, Tarkovsky was so good and Patterson and, and all the rest of it. And their defenders were great. I just thought they looked old. They looked boring. They looked like they didn't really have a, a concept. They were just there to defend. I don't know, man. They stink a little bit. Do you, yeah. do you see what I mean? Yeah, 100%. I think there's... um. Obviously, I don't watch that much of Everton, but when we went there, I obviously watched it. Um, and yeah, it was like normally when you, especially at their place, you know, especially at their place, there's always like, you know, set pieces and they're going to lump it forward and you know, to their striker and they're going to win the second goal, going to win the third ball. They're going to press you. They're going to be like, oh, so annoying. Yeah, I, I'd rather uh, play at home against, I don't know, 
uh, Brighton, it's it's like it's that much of a uh, it's so tough these games normally, but the, I it was nothing like they were just defending deep and no transitional moments, no moments of danger, and that's when you that's when you can lift your crowd as well. You know when you yeah. have one attack and you get a corner and then you know they're jumping up. It just so, felt yeah. very negative yeah. somehow. It just felt like was, yeah. in a time and age where where you have teams like Brighton and Aston Villa and and you know those are the those are the sides I would like to compare Everton to in terms of how big the club yeah. is, the fan base, the usually also the budget. Obviously, Everton have a bit of an issue with the stadium yeah. and the, the ownership changing, etc. But those are the clubs I compare them with. And when you look at Aston Villa, when you look at your Brightons, when you look at even West Ham to some extent, I know West Ham play pragmatically, especially away from home, but but they do have the quality in there. Compare that to Everton and it's so negative. You know, they they it's not like they don't have the quality. I really liked what Danuma did back in Villa Villarreal. I personally think Dwight McNeil is, is a very good winger. They they do have these players that can deliver. It's not enough, though. Do I make but it's not. Sorry? It's it, exactly. Not it's enough. not enough because they keep not buying enough. the 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 betos of the world who are just yeah. like these brute strikers that you just then lump it forward, you know. Yeah. And the lack of concept is is very disappointing to see because from a club like Everton, I feel like they have so much potential, and right now it's just it's it's a bit rubbish. I didn't enjoy watching them at all. I I thought they were. Yeah, they were just a bit shit, and yeah, it but feels I mean, like I didn't expect anything to be honest. No, and that probably anything. that's even worse though. You know, we almost yeah. take it for granted. You know, yeah, it it is it is a shame because, like, Merseyside derbies are are so normally so tense, but this was like so one sided. It, it was really, yeah, and it wasn't really any fun to, to no drama. It was really no drama. Everton just looked like they were waiting for that. Albeit a bit lucky decision against the penalty going against them, but they were just waiting for Liverpool to to score. And once they did, that was their chance for a point gone. And and I don't know if Pickford is your most exciting player, you have a problem. <laughs> passion merchant, <laughs> literally a passion merchant. Yeah, he he has that. He's got a punchable saw... face. Bless him. I I, <laughs> yeah. I I know he's he's probably a lovely lad, but um, he's just got one of those know. faces that winds me <laughs> I'm up. Sure, he's a lovely lad. I don't know. I don't know him. I haven't met him, but he just he just <laughs> comes across as someone who you just want to like smush his face and be. Like, oh. <laughs> I saw the clip again on on Instagram where he was going down the floor like three yeah. times at Anfield, and then Alison did yeah. the same. Oh, it is Brilliant. so class. Crowd so loved awesome. it. Crowd absolutely so loved it. Okay, that's that on the Merseyside derby. Let's quickly shift our attention to to a couple of other clubs. Man City are back from the dead. We're not going to go too deep into Man City and, and their issues as Rodri's back and they're back winning. I want to talk about Wolves clicking into gear. Obviously, a huge game for Gary O'Neill, who was kind of kicked out of Bournemouth despite doing quite well for them in summer. He's now the Wolves coach. And after a slow-ish start, they're really looking like they're going to be playing some exciting football with Nuri and Neto down the left, with with uh, Huang in, in starting to hit form as well. Cunha, if he scored the goals that he should score, he would be the league's top striker. The guy is, if he could finish, man, oof. Um, Ex-Swiss Football League player, by the way. Um, but yeah. but they're looking they're looking better, aren't they? A team that we probably would have guessed would be fighting in the relegation now look like they will be in mid table. Yeah, they look really good. And Neto, man, wow, Ugh. what a player! 
I I I mean I really I'm 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 so in love. I mean I I think I was like Bournemouth, the Bournemouth Wolves highlights. I was like, yes, I'm gonna see Neto again. I was I was like, normally for this game, like, okay, let's just go through that that we can put a check on it. Like, but I'm really excited. I mean, Neto and Wong as well. He has really good pace as well. Yeah, yeah, look good. I'm really impressed, and and I'm not really surprised as well. I mean. Yeah, Gary Gary O'Neill is really building his CV. I mean, he's yeah. done well at Bournemouth, in, and and you can what I always love to see, which is why I'm so alarmed at United's progress right now, is that you can see a progression. You know, yeah. you can see from the first game of the season where they played United, a very difficult away game, but they were they had a plan, they had an idea, it didn't work for them. United got very lucky with the one nil, but but they could you could see something was there building that you could see yeah. that there was no need to panic. And when I compare it to Everton, I'm like, oh, I don't know what's building there, but with walls, you mm. could see them clicking into gear. And now they're just a established fine premier league team, which midway through last season, I wasn't sure they could do. It'd be very interesting to see what happens now. They lost Neves in summer. They will probably lose Neto next year. If he continues his form like this, what happens? Can they keep rebuilding? Will the money be sustainably there? We don't know yet. But for the moment, Wolves have our respect. Yeah. And the way they went at City as well, like no fear. Absolutely. I loved it. Yeah. Really, really cool stuff. Um, shout out to Gary O'Neill. Uh, ben, if you're listening, sorry, man. I don't think you Massive got the right... L, Ben. Yeah. Massive huge L. L. I know I know you probably wanted Gary O'Neill, but Iriola, I not no progression there. Not, not, not until now. Not until now. I do think, I do think he's a good manager. I see some, I see some things. I think he has an idea. It's just he not has an really... idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I see, I see what, yeah. what he wants to do. Flexible. Which is also something we're going to get into. Goalkeepers playing out the back and costing their teams because that first goal, or the second, actually, yeah, the first goal, the first Wolves goal, the equalizer was was came from a goalkeeping error again, trying to play out the back and and getting players into trouble, which we'll get to later in this uh, episode of the Swiss Ballers pod. Let's just turn our attention again, Aston Villa and West Ham teams. We've spoken about quite a bit now this uh, this season. A great game again at Villa Park. Both teams really going for it with their own styles. West Ham a bit more pragmatically, as we said, away from home. And after like 20 minutes of fairly open, I don't know, opening stages, both teams throwing in some punches, Villa's quality just kind of seeped into every corner of the stadium and they just took complete control and, and took the lead through Douglas Louise, who also then scored the penalty to make it 2-0. He's not really a player we've spoken about too much. What do you think of Douglas Louise? Yeah, we we tried to sign him last winter. Yeah. Yeah, so no, very good player, good on the ball. Does the simple things. Does, does don't overcomplicate things. Makes the right decision. Good in the duels as well. He has that aggressivity that you need in in the center. And he has and he has a um an egg for goal, which most Brazilians they're just born with. <laughs> uh, jealous. Um, yeah. And he takes <laughs> the first goal. First goal really well. I mean, the way he arrives again in this in this um pocket is really. Yeah, he's, he's a he's a very good player. Yeah, I I was uh 
I was I was thinking to myself, oh my god, they have another one that I need to consider for my FPL because they've got Cash, Diaby, yeah. Watkins. He's a penalty taker though. That He's a penalty massive. taker, and 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 he also takes. A, a, I think he takes corners every now and again. If I saw that correctly, I'm not yeah. sure. I have to rewatch that. Zaniolo is always on corners. So, but yeah, yeah they they just look good, and and Konza at the back seems to be in the form of his life. I know Pau Torres gave away a, 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 an unfortunate uh, deflection leading to to West Ham's goal, but but still they look solid at the back. Europe doesn't really seem to phase them right now. They are probably going to romp their group easily. Yeah, good good stuff happening at, at Villa Park and West Ham will dust themselves off. Quick thing on the managers. David Moyes, Unai Emery, both have kind of... Is failed the right word, maybe? Have not had the success at the biggest clubs that they've managed. David Moyes at United, famously so... Unai Emery was at PSG for a while. Yes, he won the league, but who doesn't? Then he went to Arsenal where it didn't really work out. Is is this the sort of pedigree of manager that can do really well at the clubs, the size of the clubs that they're at right now? That they can like deal, they can make teams better, they can impose their own style, they probably need a bit of time to to make it work properly. But then when it comes to managing the proper ego, the huge egos that you have in, in teams like PSG, maybe like Arsenal at the time as well, that they don't quite have that pedigree. Is that is that the case here? I mean, Unai Emery at Sevilla won the Europa League and then at Arsenal didn't quite look like he he was up for the job. What are your thoughts on this? Is that are these like the the second tier manager? Probably. Um, yeah, I don't know, but you make a good point. I never thought about that actually. But yeah, I think with with uh Unai at this time at Arsenal, it was just the first season was really good. I think most people don't really give him the credit for that first season. I mean, we're like we had empty seats in the season before. I mean, it was really bad. Like, home against Man City with empty seats, that is really worrying. So he he got that whole he got the whole motivation back and we finished fifth with so much bad luck and like I think it was one point off so really a shame and then we lost the 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 early Euro Europa League final so we went in the summer with so much negativity and then bad start and then you're out so I think things could have gone a bit better for him with a bit more luck because I think I already thought back then he's a good manager. So yeah, maybe maybe in another time with a bit more luck, one player more, it could have worked. But yeah, it's difficult to say. I, I don't really know. But I mean, Mo, I don't know. What do you think about Moyes? I think he didn't have really much time at, at Man United. No, but I think I think what it is, it's this, it's this thing of... of... I do believe that, I mean, man- managing is much more than just coaching and, and tactically dealing with, with issues. I think on a on the highest level, I think a lot of it is dealing with the egos of certain players, the statues of certain players. And, and I think that's what makes maybe an Ancelotti the perfect fit for, for Real Madrid, because he has that natural charisma and aura about him that will make players like Ronaldo, like a, I don't know, Crows, Modric, that, that as big as they are, they will still listen and respect Ancelotti so much. And and even the young guns, I mean, someone like, I don't know, Vinicius Jr., who has like 
the world at his feet footballing wise you know young lad brazilian can pretty much get in any team in the world right now but he will he will never go out of line with an ancelotti whereas when you compare it to to Unai Emery at PSG with with all the issues with the big names and and is he big enough to manage that dressing room and and he might not have that stature when the press are, are zooming in with all their lenses when they are asking very uncomfortable questions and I think it's the same for David Moyes where at Everton less media attention less pressure you can also lose a couple of games in a row no one loses their heads it's just a bit calmer and the players are of a smaller stature and you can always go hey who are you to talk to you only play for Everton like come back to me when you you know play for Real Madrid Barcelona so he will always have that sort of aura of respect and he can command that whereas yeah then, but yeah whereas then you go from you know David Moyes walking into Man United's dressing room and you have a Van Persie Vidic Ferdinand winning everything and they'll be sat there going you've just managed Everton for 10 years what the hell are you gonna teach me you know and that can be a tricky thing to maneuver as a as a manager. I mean, I mean, you know, we all know Oba wasn't the easiest character, but Mesut Özil also coming from from the likes of Real Madrid and and bigger clubs. And I just feel like if you're at clubs like that, and you don't have that that something that aura that I don't know what it exactly it is, what quality it is, but the Klopp, Guardiola, the likes of those managers bring, then maybe this is their ceiling. And that's not to say they're any, you know, worse managers than anyone else. But I think this might be as good as it gets for them. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, at some point, I mean, Ancelotti once was a nobody in a way as well as a coach. Of yeah, course, you build player, that, but yeah. You have to, like, at some point, you have to take that leap as a manager and just, I mean, go through maybe a period of time where... People don't respect you that much, but I think it helps also probably when when you played against them before, like when Man United played against Everton and they had a really tough time and they thought, oof, the players are not really that good, but they're giving us their 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 have their really good setup, you know. So maybe that helps as well. But uh, yeah, it's a good point, and I think for sure that that aura and the experience helps like the star players to to respect. The managers more, but I think it's also like a natural authority thing. I think uh, Arteta probably, I mean, he, he is his first job as a manager, but I think he has natural authority, yeah. and I think he he people respect him like and because they like him as well. Yeah. So yeah. And I mean, you know, both Unai Emery and, and David Moyes are European champions, so I can't really, you know, yeah. claim they're not great managers. I just it's just usually when you look at their CVs, you'd think, well, why aren't they ready to step up? And they haven't. And at the same time, they've done really, really well at the sort of second tier size clubs that they are at, or they have been. Okay, my dear, we will take a break at this point and we will come back to talk Arsenal's away game to Chelsea, which has plenty of stuff to talk about and dive into. Um, So see you in a sec. To talk Chelsea versus Arsenal. The game ended 2-2. Chelsea taking a 2-0 lead. Um, and then Arsenal sort of finding a way back with two late goals from Rice and 
Trossard. A very rainy affair at Stamford Bridge. Not Arsenal's best game. And if we start at the beginning, I remember watching it. And after like 15 minutes, I'm like, wow, Chelsea want this more. It really reminded me of Arsenal's away game at Newcastle a couple of seasons ago when you lost the top four. It was just a bit... And and it reminded me a little bit of, of that because also then, you know, you have that you have that great chance. You just beat Man City in the, on this occasion. And, and then you have that chance to really capitalize it and, and kind of make the most out of those three points. And now you drop the points and already City are back level on points again. And at the same time, you have to give them credit because they did, when given a lifeline, they grasped it and took it and won a point. But in that first 15, 20 minutes, in, in fact, the full first half, but especially in the opening until sort of the one nil was scored, they just they, Chelsea were all over them. Yeah, was probably our worst uh, half we played this season. Yeah, it was really bad. Really sloppy passes. Really, I mean, the passing quality normally is so high, but it was really bad. I don't know. I don't want to blame it on the pitch, but was maybe a factor. But that is the that is the uh, fault of the players that they don't adapt. I'm, I'm just saying, maybe it's because of that. Yeah, it felt more like a mental thing to me that like Chelsea yeah. just looked awake. The, Chelsea Arsenal were didn't... Chelsea were more they they were more active in the duels as well. Um, yeah, it was they Odegaard was not good. Jesus was not good. They couldn't find each other like they normally do. I don't want to like question everything now. It's just. One get bad game, but again, the one positive is that we got a draw. But uh, as well, I mean, lots of pundits saying, yeah, it's you play bad, but you get a point. And I think it's a bit, it's been a bit too much this season that we, yeah, you won, you play bad, but you won. That's championship, that's championship material. You, you threw, you played bad, but you got a point. That's championship material. Like at some point, we're going to have to start up our performances a bit more cons- on a consistent basis. Like we had some really good performances this year, but we had some not so good performances and we just need to be, I want to see a good performance again. You know, I want to see a, a proper good performance again. Like, uh, like last season was more often the case. Yeah. Speaking to a United fan, uh, I relate um, <laughs> very much. So <laughs> let's talk about Chelsea for a second. Who impressed you most on that Chelsea team? Palmer. Yeah. Like the 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 he got in some really good spaces, some really good um first touches. Like he had some few flicks which opened up the space for for Sterling and Mudrick. And um yeah. Yeah, a good good aggressive uh how's it called? Aggressiveness? Yeah, aggression, yeah. Aggression in the duels. Yeah. Yeah, he impressed me the most. Good game intelligence, and I mean, he's a good. He has. He's a good footballer. I mean, we know that. Chelsea played in this sort of fluid front four situation with with kind of Gallagher and Palmer as as joint playmaking number tens, and then Sterling and and Mudrik moving in and around them. Sterling nominated up top, but really he was floating everywhere, and then Mudrik over the left. They're obviously still missing Nkunku. Jackson looks to have lost his place in the team. 
Do you see something developing at Chelsea? Yeah, definitely. And it's been coming for a few games now. Burnley, Fulham. They look they look better and even the games they drew or maybe we, we left at them. They did have some bad luck in these games as well. So, yeah, th- I mean, the fixture run looks tough now. <laughs> they have a really tough fixture run. And th- but they, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a good test for them. Nobody really has them on the on the um, how do you say it? predicts the them for yeah. yeah on the radar for like top four or even top six. So I think now just um, I mean for a club like Chelsea's maybe you can't say that, but like go at it and just just have some fun. Here's an interesting question for you, Maurizio Pochettino. What does he have to do for this to be a good season? Where does he have to finish in the league for this to be a good season? Wouldn't really bother me too much as a as a Chelsea fan, to be honest. I would just want to see good performances and a good, like, how do you say, like, like with Arsenal a few years ago. I'm comparing always to Arsenal. It's a bit boring as well. But... No, I think it's like, a fair analogy. I mean, you yeah, have a new coach, a completely new I mean, setup. It was just, it was just, it went worse at the beginning, and then it was just a little bit better. Always like when we lost, uh, when we I think lost to Burnley at home. It was like twenty twenty. It got always a bit better, and the next season a bit better, and the next season we competed. Like I just, I think the performances were always like, we're, we're okay now. We're a bit better. Like two months ago, we're a bit better. Like it needs to be a bit that process. So I, I would worry. I wouldn't worry about the finish, to be honest. Just like a clear pattern of play, a clear structure how we want to play. Uh, the centre back issue, I think Thiago Silva is is very good, and at some point he's not going to be around. So that is a problem. Yeah, they they need to get their recruiting right. Don't spend money. Left, right, and center, because there, there needs, there needs to be like a real close group, you know, of fourteen to fifteen players. You can't really have, I don't know, players who are some internationals are not even in the squad, you know, because there's so many players to choose from. That's not not good for the team chemistry, and you have when you have to play train on two pitches where you think. Oh, where's my mate? He's on the other side of the pitch again. Uh, like, it feels like a, the, I don't know. You're playing football with the whole school. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you... and still they don't really have a goal scorer. Yeah, but I think once Nkunku comes in, he can be that. I I, I wouldn't consider Nkunku an out and out striker. No, though, but I know but, what you mean. He's gonna but add but goals. He can, he's gonna add goals and he, he's gonna add assists as well for yes. I agree, Sterling I agree. But but still you, you do wonder having spent the money they've spent, why isn't yeah. there a clear and obvious but goal scorer in that team? I'm sure but... we're gonna come to that with with Arsenal, but I don't think you always need a, a, like an out and out goal scorer when the team has enough goals in them. I think we we've seen enough examples in history that that, that can work, you know. It's an interesting point i would probably argue that most successful teams have always had that clear out and out goal scorer 
when I think at the biggest sides, right, back in like over the last 20 years. What do you think? Had... Bayern triple 2013. Lewandowski. No, he was a tournament man. Was Manchukic. This is top. true. Okay. Oh, yeah. The 2013 season, fair enough. But yeah. they, but that's maybe. Like it's Müller, it's Robin, it's Ribery. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. And then they played with Manzukic and, and yeah, yeah the, fair enough. They, that's that's one exception. But when I look at the biggest sides, the Bayerns of 2020 with Lewandowski, the, the, the Barcelonas with Messi, the Real Madrids with Ronaldo, the, the Liverpools with Salah, as we mentioned, the, the City treble team with with Haaland, the United travel team of 99 with like four great goal scorers in it. I don't know. I just feel like you you do tend, it tends to give you a proper lift when you have that player who... Yeah. And then you obviously have like the Spurs situation where they get rid of their deadwood and suddenly they're much better without (laughs) Harry and Kane. I mean, yeah, Uh... it can work in in separate ways, of course. Yeah, but even like the great, great Real Madrid teams, like Benzema. He no, but they had always... Ronaldo, you know, fucking yeah. goal scorer. And then but when they wanted, the, he was on the on the left wing, you know. But it's a goal scorer. It's a clear goal. Yeah. Scorer. Okay. Okay. When you, when he wanted like that, yeah. Then sure. I thought you meant like a striker. No, no, no. It's a clear. No, no, no. Like... no then I then I agree. Of course. Yeah. yeah. You need you need a goal scorer. That's for sure. That one guy who will just yeah, yeah. win you but games he not, by he does, himself. He does not always need to be on top. That's what I what what my point. No, maybe maybe not. Yes, I I would does, agree. I mean, Messi came off the right a lot for Barcelona, yeah. and and yes, sure. But but it does tend to, yeah. There there are rare occasions, you know, Spain twenty twelve for instance, where it does work, but then you do need that Bayern treble twenty thirteen quality all over the pitch to to compensate for it. Which again, I don't think. Um, yeah, these two clubs have even Liverpool is an example. Bobby Firmino never. Yeah, yeah, but then goals, he has he, he has he, two he has goal scorers next to him. Yeah, yeah, he has two goal scorers next to him that he yeah. facilitates for. So, yes, yeah. I want to talk about the other side of the pitch though, because again, the the, the Raya situation. Um, for once, actually, Raya wasn't in the spotlight because Sanchez completely gifted Arsenal a goal. It has to be said that Rice had a lot left to do. And the finish was outstanding, I think. A bit underrated, actually, at that yeah, finish. It's not an easy finish. one. It's very not an easy finish. one. The ball actually... Dimitans. The ball bounces for the first time inside the goal, like beyond yeah. the goal line already. That's such a clean hit. Yeah. Um, but still, Robert Sanchez, you know, being told by his manager to play out the back. I don't really... I don't think Chelsea want him as their long-term number one. But, you know, he's playing in goal for them and, and he's been asked to play out from the back. Like most clubs do, Brighton famously, United are trying it with Onana, uh, Arsenal now even more so. And I just, I just, I for one, I mean, call me old school, but I think it's costing clubs more than it's benefiting them. I don't see enough, or at least they, it's it's very tricky to get that balance right. And looking at Sanchez, looking at Raya as well, looking at a fair number actually of goalkeeping mistake still had one for Brighton against Bournemouth where the goalkeeper gives the ball away cheaply immediately concedes a goal and you're sat there going yeah the manager will take responsibility for this but surely even as a player you have to be like you know what whatever the manager says I'm fucking putting my laces through this because if Sanchez does that in that occasion there instead of trying to find the pot the the ball 70 something minute you're out your own goal you're trying to play just boot it out man just boot Uh, it out or even just play that to the the center back like just play it say like yeah just literally get rid don't take any silly risks Chelsea win that game 
to sim- it's just as simple as that because Arsenal, even at that point, yes, they were more tenacious. Yeah, we were we were dead. Yeah, but there's no way if Rice doesn't score that easy goal, they're getting back in. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. still argue that maybe the benefit of playing out with a goalkeeper doesn't always look that obvious. I mean, if you have a goalkeeper who can play a I'm not really saying like a ball through three lines, but a good quality ball to your centre-back, which then will lead to a more faster, progressive build-up. That is already a small benefit, but the benefit we're not really aware of. And I do think it's important that your goalkeeper has that equality, that he's good with both feet, that he can, like, not always, but in some moments... Where the ball, it doesn't need to be a huge risk ball, a ball, but the ball with a bit of risk, you know, but it will get us out of jail. And I would still, let's just say that I wouldn't change it if I was, would be Arteta or the Serbi. I wouldn't. I mean, I said, I mean, I said in the last podcast that um, I criticized them, uh, Brighton for playing out of the back but that's because they play against Liverpool and against Salah and against Darwin and against Luis Diaz who are just pressing monsters that's where I criticize them just have a bit more game um, like have a feel in the game now is not the right moment you know but overall I would still argue that it it is the for me it would be the right way to go if you're Sheffield United no <laughs> but if you're Arsenal or Brighton or... Yeah, I think it comes down to understand... What you say there is a very fair point. The understanding of the moment in the game, the yeah. game intelligence, the the, I think that's very, very important. That's that's crucial to, to this whole thing because look at Man City, right? The, again, probably the benchmark for this Pep Guardiola playing out the back, right? He kind of revolutionised back in his Barca days how we perceive football even and, and how we... we, cons- we how we approach certain positions even he kind of changed that fullbacks is the first and foremost one and edison doesn't really get caught in those situations now you might say yes because city are so good everywhere on the pitch but they also have the big benefit of having harland up top so you can actually lump it long and you have that target player there and it gives you that balance it gives you that option to be like you know what i'm just gonna if you're pressing me i'm just gonna boot it and if you don't have that and then you tell your goalkeepers just play it short every time, you not only get yourself into risks, you also become incredibly predictable. And, you know, if you don't have the quality to back it up, like Robert Sanchez has, like still had for, for Brighton, then you're going to you're gonna suffer. And again, it's cost Chelsea two points. And I don't know if playing out the back has, has given them two points to compensate at any point this season. So yeah, I'm a bit on the fence. I think it's very important to get that balance right. And, and apart from Edison, I have yet to see a club who's got it fully right so far. Yeah. Okay, this concludes our talk about Arsenal and Chelsea this week overall I think a point both teams can live with um Champions League is back this week just a quick a quick word on that are you excited are you Arsenal lost their last game what do you what are your thoughts share with me your thoughts on the Champions League returning yeah I'm kind of glad that we play like now again, because I I want to see a reaction. I was really disappointed on Saturday with the performance. Like, 
it, it's still Chelsea, you know, it still means a lot to me. I mean, a lot to all the fans. And I, they really, they really let us down. I think they, they didn't turn up. And um, yeah, to be fair to them, that's not really something you could throw at them at the, like the last couple of years. But yeah, I, I want to see reaction, and I and I don't want to see any players rested. To be honest, I I want to. We lost against Ren, so we should take this very very serious, and we. And I think it's away to Sevilla, if I'm yep, right. Yeah, away game at Sevilla, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Prove, um, yeah, show what, what you can do. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the game. Some some other interesting fixtures. Uh, in yeah, you're going to have to tell me, to be honest. I'm, I'm not really... The Newcastle are playing... on the radar. Yeah, Newcastle are playing Borussia Dortmund at St. James Park. Oh, nice. And I fear for Toto's... BBB, even though in the league they've really studied their form and are winning their games more or less convincingly. Um, yeah, Newcastle are just firing. Newcastle are scary at the moment. Uh, PSG play AC Milan. Uh, the the big game of the of the week is of course BSC Young Boys playing Man City. Um, mm-hmm. I'm pr- I'd be pretty surprised. Is this, if we is saw... this uh, on Wednesday? Uh, this is on Wednesday. Yes. Okay. I'm happy to say on Tuesday, is it? Yes, Arsenal's tomorrow or today, if you're listening. Um, yeah. and um, yeah, and and United are playing today as well against uh, Copenhagen. And if they don't win, they're already out of the competition. Do they play at home or away? United. Yeah. At home. Oh, good. Yeah, and then away to Copenhagen, and you just need yeah. six points. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no way around it. Copenhagen is actually a tough place to go. I think. It's a very and tricky place to they, go. They never, I think now they lost against Bayern, but they, they didn't lose any games at home for no. quite a long spell. Yep. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't, I'm kind of already hearing the Europa League music in the background. It's only great if you win it. Okay. <laughs> I remember as, as always, never happened. Oh, yeah, in 17. 17 yeah, in 17 so. with Mourinho with it. Arsenal haven't. Um, Arsenal have yeah. also not won the Champions League. And on that, we end this show. What a beautiful Aww. way to end it. Arman, thank you so much for hopping <laughs> on. It's been a pleasure as always. I will see you in a week. We will very soon have Joan on because it is Classico weekend and we haven't heard from Barcelona in a while. And I think they're cooking over in Catalonia. So we will hear from Joan and we'll see where they're at. Um, but for tonight, thank you. And thank you to all the listeners. And see you soon.